In November of 2019, so let's rewind a little bit, pre-pandemic, LSU's right in the middle of, they're just coming off of beating Alabama in a national championship year. Everything's right in the world before everything fell apart, right? Um, November of, two, of 2019, there was an article that was published. Um, it was a study that was trying to investigate a new phenomenon, something that's been kind of stirring a little bit more, especially in young people. They were trying to pay attention to what was going on with the rise of anxiety. Seems like it's something that wasn't around as much some 30 years ago. At least it wasn't talked about as much 30 years ago. But this study concluded that students, or, or young people between the ages of 13 and 18, that a third of them would deal with an anxiety disorder which was a, a, an exponentially greater number than 30 years ago. And what they were trying to do is, is that this, this one psychologist, this Harvard psychologist, was trying to break down what is it, why is it, that this is the case. And I think we all could, we all could kind of associate with these kind of things. It's not, this isn't just for our young people, but I think this is something for all of us if we really reflect that, quite honestly, we get anxious more today than we have in the past. And... There's a few reasons why. The first one that they laid out was honestly, if we look at it, um, there is a higher standard today on a lot of things. And with that higher standard comes a lot more pressure. For example, I remember when my sister was taking the ACT, you only had to get a certain number. By the time I took the ACT, you were trying to get five points higher, and now, if you're not in around the 30 mark, you might be in trouble. I would have never touched that number, by the way, and my sister really wouldn't have touched that number. She's going to be so mad that I said that, but I don't care. <laughs> so higher standards mean lead to more pressure. Okay? The second one is that the world has revealed itself as being dangerous. Really think about it. 30 years ago, yeah, sure, there were dangerous things. There were some things that might kind of, that might kind of come up, tragedies and, and wars, or, but, but it wasn't on the news every day, all day. Turn of the century, there was, at the turn of the century, there were four years in a row where there were just questions of what was safe. For example, 1999, Columbine. Is my school safe? 2000? Y2K, is all this electronics safe? 2001, 9-11, is my country safe? In 2002, the church abuse scandal, is my church even safe? It's been kind of a question of doubt that has thrown on, a cloak of doubt that has been thrown on the world, on institutions that we always felt like we could trust and believe in. And what happens? We start to question if it's safe and the world reveals itself as actually maybe being dangerous. And fire drills are replaced with active shooter drills. A third thing. When I had a bad day at school, now this is only 13 years ago I graduated high school. 14, whatever it is. That's why I didn't do math. Um, but if, if I had a bad day at school, all I had to do was come home and close the door. And I could tune out the rest of the world. 
I could have my own time to play PlayStation. I could watch TV. I could kind of just exhale from a bad day at school or the bully who was aggravating me or the person or the bad thing or whatever. Now, he follows you home because he can constantly have access to you through social media. Constantly engaged. There's never a time of being off. You have to be perfect all the time. I don't know about you, but if those, if those things were where they were, were, were affecting me where I was 13, 14 years ago, I would be anxious too. Oh wait, four months after this article comes out, four months after this study comes out, let's throw in the coronavirus. Anxiety is in our world at a higher rate than it probably ever has been before. And that's not, I don't think that's just because all of a sudden we're talking about it. I think that's because we're, we're engaged in more and higher standards than we ever have been before. And today, in our, fir- in our second reading, St. Paul has the audacity to tell us I should like you to be free of anxieties. St. Paul's writing to the the early church in Corinth. He was writing to this this community, this this dock town, this, this this, this kind of shipping center, this hub in the Mediterranean. And he's telling them to be free of anxieties. But I I really do believe that these words still echo down to us today. Because ultimately, the cure to the anxieties of our life, the cure to the anxieties of our world, is not to just try and white-knuckle it and get through it, but it lies in being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Our Gospel today reveals three ways that this anxiety can flare up And I think it also shows us what's the cure to it. Look at we got three figure, we got three particular groups or figures that we can look at in the gospel today. The first is the congregation that's gathered, the people. We hear about them as just the people. We hear about them as kind of seeing what's going on and not quite knowing. Now, just as a just as a background, a synagogue. You have to understand what synagogue worship looked like in the Jewish tradition. Now, multiple times a year, five, six, seven times a year, the Jewish people would have to go to Jerusalem to the temple to offer sacrifice. That might be a lamb, that might be a goat, that might be um, some grain offerings, whatever it was, they had to go and offer sacrifice to God. That was a handful of times a year. Those were big moments. But on a weekly basis, what they would do is is that they would gather in their local synagogue. They would gather in their local place of worship, and it was a lay movement where they would invite people who were were learned in their faith to get up and preach, to get up and speak and to teach and to break open the Scriptures with each other. If we think about it, imagine that once a week we would come here and there would be somebody in a congregation that would come up and speak. And then a few times a year, we would go to New Orleans to offer sacrifice. It's kind of what we're talking about. 
So at one of these gatherings, Jesus is invited to come and speak to the synagogue. He's invited to stand up because he's seen as this wise, learned kind of guy. He's seen as someone who seems to be holy, so they give him a chance to give the talk that week. When they come together, these are the people that would have been your Sunday mass goers, if you will, of the Jewish tradition. These are your people that took their faith seriously. They were there every week. And Jesus gets up and he starts to speak and he starts to preach. And as he's speaking and as he's preaching, the people recognize there's something different about the way he's speaking. He's speaking with a sense of authority. He's not just quoting other people or he's not just giving kind of other people's thoughts. He's speaking as himself with authority in the scriptures. He's breaking them open. He's not quoting people. He's telling them exactly what it means. And it seems to be coming from a place that's not here. That's not in their tradition. The people, they're intrigued by it. They're impressed by it. But don't, they don't recognize that it's the promised one that Moses talks about in our first reading. That this is, that this is God's prophet. That this is God's one. This is the Messiah that's come. They don't recognize Him. They still don't recognize him whenever a man with an unclean spirit, someone who has a demon in him, looks and starts to challenge him and he drives the demon out. They hear the word. They see the work. But they don't recognize that God is there. Think for us, how often we come to Mass every week, we hear the word. We see the work, but we may not be convinced that God is there. The second person, that can cause anxiety, right? The second person that we can kind of learn maybe a source of anxiety from is the demon. I know we're going to learn something from the demon. Give me a sec. Well, the demon recognizes Jesus. The demon calls him out for who he is. When the demon calls him out, his first sentence to him is, what would you have to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? It's a profound question. What would you have to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Think. Imagine if you got a chance to stand before God, that God presented Himself right here in front of you today, and you looked at Him, and you asked the question, what would you have to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? If you want to translate it a different way, do you care about what's going on in my life? My God, I've got stuff. <laughs> I'm struggling. I got hurt. I, 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 my family is, is struggling right now. 2020 was horrible. The stock market, I'm, I'm worried. The drilling moratorium, I'm worried. The next step in this, in, in what, whatever's going to happen in our culture, I'm worried. Do we believe that God cares? The demon recognized that God cared, but do we believe that God cares? So do we believe that God is there? 
do we believe that God cares? The third person that we can learn something from with anxiety, with this, with this steam, with, with, we can see how it kind of plays out, is the man who is possessed. Now, Scripture scholars will kind of talk about different ideas of what this scene might have looked like, but after reading it and kind of praying with it, I can't help but believe what it, probably, what it, what it might have been is that this man was there with an unclean spirit, and the unclean spirit spoke out in recognition of Jesus. That the unclean spirit within the man was the thing that called out to Jesus and said, what would you have to do with us? But the man seemed to be just kind of standing there passively. Think about this. He is, he's, he's got an unclean spirit. He's got a demon. He's possessed. And he's standing there listening in the synagogue passively. How often do we grow comfortable with the demons that we have? We could grow comfortable with our sin. We could grow comfortable with those, way, those, those little idiosyncrasies that really get on, either, get on other people's nerves. We can grow comfortable with the ways in which we fall short. Whether it be laziness or lust or, or gluttony or whatever it is, we could grow comfortable with these things and just kind of sit back and let it run its course. And just kind of say, I am who I am and that's it. Now, I, I, you know what? I don't have to be anything greater. I don't have to drive this kind of stuff out. But that's not what God is calling. Because Jesus looks at the man and drives the demon out of him. He frees him from that captivity. It makes the man convulse. It makes him kind of spaz out a little bit. And as, the, as this demon is driven out of him because it was rooted within him, it's not, it's not comfortable to drive out the, the sin and the shortcomings that we have. It's not comfortable a lot of times to go before God and to ask for healing in those places that are most sensitive and most hurt in our hearts. And that can cause anxiety. But what happens with that comfort, I think a lot of times we convince ourselves that it's mine to fix. That this is my shortcoming to fix. That this is my place that I need to fix myself before I can come to God. Basically saying that my cross is only mine to bear. So is God there? Does God care? And is my cross mine to bear? Whenever this is how we experience the Christian life, a lot of times we can feel like we have to prove ourselves. We can feel like, oh, we try and keep the Christian life, we try and keep Jesus Christ at an arm's length from us. Because it's comfortable. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. But that's not how God intends for us to live the Christian life. The most, in, in the year 2020, as crazy as it was, the most, the most Googled line of Scripture, people, people were always, they, they always have these like most whatever, most popular whatever in 2020, most popular songs of 2020, all this stuff kind of comes out in January of the next year. The most popular Scripture of 2020 was Isaiah 41.10. 
Oh, yeah, y'all know which one, right? Uh, Isaiah 41.10. We Catholics, never mind. All right, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Can I tell us something about where we are right now as a culture? You might not be there, but I think it speaks to where the heart of our culture is right now. When the most Googled Scripture of, 20, of 2020, of the, last, of the last year, is fear not, for I am with you. Pope Benedict said it this way, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. Being Christian is not having your head up in the clouds or being worried about just, it's just trying to act like a Christian and doing the Ten Commandments and that's it. He said being Christian is not the, choice, is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. He said being Christian is about an encounter with a person that God would be with us and lifting us up with His victorious right hand. When we're in relationship with our God, it gives our life a new direction, it gives us peace, and it drives out anxiety. We can exhale. Best analogy I can think of for it. As a kid, every one of us has had a nightmare. And when you wake up as a kid from a nightmare, and you're panicked, and your heart's racing, and you're worried, what's the first thing you cry out for? Mama. Where is my mama? Where's my daddy? Where is my parent? I was just in a dream that a, that a, a ten foot tall rabbit was chasing me and for some reason I think my mother, who is a five foot tall woman, could beat that ten foot tall rabbit that could smash her. But for some reason, that's where I find my peace. Because I know for a fact that I'm in relationship with her and everything else is driven out. There is nothing in this world. There is no, there is no virus. There is no pressure. There is no dissension. There is no struggle. There is no war. There is nothing in this world that can defeat the loving embrace of our God. That drives out anxiety. That brings peace to the heart. Today we come to Mass to let God embrace us. We come to Mass because Jesus is who He says He is. He is God incarnate. He is there. He does care about your life. And the struggles of your life are not yours to bear. May we today be embraced by our God. Not just as a set of ideas. Not just as a moral code to follow. But as a Father that He is. May we be embraced by our God so He can drive out all anxiety.